I'm Bee Heller, and this is The Pioneers, a podcast series interviewing business founders and leaders who are pioneering new management practices and ways of working to create inspiring organisational cultures. Today, I'm talking to Debbie Martin, Chief of Talent Experience at And Digital, a company that from day one have had an idea of how they're going to structure themselves to foster a sense of community and belonging, no matter how big they get. We are hardly recognisable from where we were four years ago. We've grown so much. So when I joined the company, there were about eight of us. We're now just over 300 people. The Pioneers is a podcast for business founders and people leaders who are striving to make their own workplaces deliver for their people and who want their culture to be a source of strength that drives the future growth of their company. We interview business founders and leaders who we think we can all learn something from. We get past the conceptual ideas to bring you the day-to-day habits and practices these businesses use to create and sustain their cultures. We'll bring you one pioneer each episode, so tune in for 30 minutes of wisdom and practical ideas for you to test in your own organisation each week. So I'd love to start by just asking you please to introduce yourself. So my name is Debbie Martin. I am the Chief of Talent Experience at And Digital. We are a professional services organisation that helps FTSE 250 customers build digital products essentially. So we provide capability, so people and skills that our clients are lacking in order to really advance their digital aspirations and help them connect with their customers through their digital products. Do you have a sense of why the founders started and digital? What was their driving motivation and what was the purpose of the company in their eyes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really the the thinking behind um, and digital and our purpose was to reduce the digital skills gap in the UK. So we are all well aware that technology is really changing the way that all of us interact with you know, every product that, that we use. Um, but there is a, a lack of technical skills in the UK as well as kind of partnering that with professional skills and so and digital came about really to bring those technical and professional skills together and to help um, organizations across the UK primarily maybe in Europe in the future um, but primarily in in the UK um, grow their own skills as well so it isn't about us providing IP and then taking that IP away with us when we leave our clients. It's actually about how do we enable our clients to grow their capability while we're on site, working side by side with their own people. So you're early, you're in a people role in and digital. Can I take that that there was a very deliberate move from the first days to think about the culture of and digital as a business? Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably worth mentioning that my first role with And Digital was as the Chief Happiness Officer. That was my title. So happiness at work was absolutely on the management team agenda from the very early days of the organisation. Um, the CEO, having run a management consultancy firm previously, was well aware of the importance of culture um, in order to create what we call a remarkable organisation, so an organisation worth commenting about. Um, absolutely, culture is essential, and it's a way to 
kind of harness your people, bring people together, enable people to flourish in the work environment. Um, and none of that happens accidentally, and it doesn't happen if you don't have a dedicated focus on it. So actually, right from the very early days, um, culture has been a key factor, our values have been a key factor, and actually having a seat on the management team table to hold people to account and highlight when things haven't been done as well as they could be, the impact it's having on our people. And ultimately, that has an impact on our revenue at the end of the day. What's your proudest moment at Andishton? I'm really proud of our recruitment team that have won. They won an award last year for the best in-house recruitment team. um, And they've been nominated again this year. So we're waiting to find out how we've done. The recruitment team, although... They are incredibly successful in terms of the numbers and, and you know, the, the amount of people that we hire to enable the organisation to grow. What's really special to me is the fact that we have a kind of red carpet approach to recruitment and we think very carefully about the experience that the candidate has. Even if we don't take them through to offer, we still have candidates who who um, who ultimately weren't successful in getting a job with us referring us to people they know which to me that's a massive success that actually there's a meaningful human connection that people make with the organization through each stage of that process we don't have I guess formal interviews it's much more of this type of dialogue yeah. you know the whole we have two stages to the interview process so beyond CV screening, phone screening, um, when the, when people come into the office, there's a technical interview, so especially for developers, there'll be a tech test, and then a cultural ad interview where we're really trying to understand the individual as a person and what motivates them, what makes them get out of bed and bring their best selves to work. Um, and I think people just love m- meeting individuals that they can connect with and they kind of think, OK, I, you know, I'd love to work with you or, um, you know, you've really explained the role to me in a way that I can connect with and I feel like I could be part of this organisation. We have a really remarkable onboarding experience where people join. They either go through an induction or a three week boot camp, um, depending on, on kind of how they join the organisation. Again, it's, it's a fully immersive experience so that people we kind of talk about painting people red, like people really understand what it means to work for this organisation, what our expectations are of them, what they can expect from us. Um, And we try and equip them as best we can to enable them to be successful in their roles. And I think that's a very different experience to people who, you know, join maybe more typically large organisations, you get maybe half a day of PowerPoint presentations and a whole load of kind of contact phone numbers, and then you're pretty much left to fend for yourself. Um, we've designed everything to be much more inclusive and collaborative and and all about yeah setting people up for success so a lot of that is about the quality of the conversations that people have with your people yeah to what extent is it driven by you and your team versus the managers in the operational managers tech managers in the organization i feel like everyone gets it which helps so it isn't a battle to explain to people why this stuff is important And and i think that probably comes from the fact it's been on the radar since day one so everybody that we've hired into senior positions in the organization they have to get it otherwise they're not going to be successful fundamentally Um, so yeah I don't I don't feel like there's too much of me nagging people as it were Um, sometimes we need reminders of course you know sometimes there are you know revenue pressures alongside people pressures and you know there are compromises that have to be made of course Um, 
we've recently implemented, six months ago, implemented a new employee engagement tool. And actually, the reaction to that has been brilliant because the senior managers, they love the data. They love getting into the data behind how people are feeling. Um, and the response to that, has, I've been so thrilled to see how seriously people have taken that and how much effort they've gone into addressing the themes that are coming out of the data. Um, and we talk about it in every kind of line of business meeting. There's always a people or kind of happiness agenda item. So every meeting we, we have with senior managers, it's it's always discussed how are people feeling, how are people doing. Mm-hmm. We do a lot around our values, making sure that from the day people join our organisation, they understand what our values are and how to live them. I think that's really critical. Um, for us, values have never been about words on a wall and aspirations. It's been really concrete and day-to-day when we talk about the value of wonder, this is what we mean, this is what we're looking for you to do and how your behaviour can demonstrate that value. Um, I think that's really important as well. I think values, since kind of Enron days, the concept of values has been slightly eroded and they shouldn't be. I think they can still stand for a lot and help people understand what's expected of them um, and what good looks like. And I think that's, that's really critical. So what's the biggest people management challenge that you've faced We are four and a half, four and three quarter years old as an organisation and hardly recognisable from where we were four years ago, even three years ago, really, we've grown so much. So from 2014, when I joined the company, there were about eight of us. We're now just over 300 people. Um, So the growth has been significant. And I think possibly the the hardest journey has been for those people, those first 20, 40 people who joined, Um, because they were so connected to every aspect of the organisation in those early days. Um, And now I think just the scale that we're at, it's it's harder, it's not impossible, but it's harder to maintain that sense of personal connection with the business. Um, But again, when I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking about who those individuals are and the vast majority of them are still with us. And that speaks volumes, I think, to the fact that they still feel connected to the journey that the organisation is on and they still, A, they're still getting what they want out of, you know, their their role and their career opportunities with us. Um, but also that, obviously, the vision still holds true for them. The reason they joined, you know, is, has come to fruition. Was there anything that happened that made you think, oh, this is becoming a problem and we need to start addressing the challenges of growth as in we can't just carry on how we've yeah. always done things it's interesting because the way that our organization is designed was specifically to enable growth while maintaining a small company feel so we grow in what we call clubs which are about 84 people so we now have four clubs um so each club i would say each club as it forms almost goes through its own change curve like its own learning journey its own pain points as they get to a certain size and it isn't about 20 individuals anymore it's about 50 individuals and all of a sudden um the dynamic changes slightly so it wasn't it wasn't so much that we had to fundamentally change something because that became an issue we were always aware and we'd always known from the beginning as we grow the dynamic will change and we didn't want to lose that kind of startup feel and again that sense of belonging and connection that people have with a startup organization so the way that we are structured enables that 
us to kind of maintain that sense of belonging um, and people do feel really connected to the club they belong to there's lots of social events there's lots of um, kind of communication events that happen um, scheduling onto client projects happens within that group so you may be working with you know a different a different group of people every three six months but still within that core group of 85 so actually they get to know each other really well they know each other's skills they help each other learn and develop um and it does provide a real sense of community and and for me that's key i think that's what a lot of larger organizations are missing we hear it so often when we interview people that phrase you know i'm a small cog in a large wheel people don't like that people don't like being a number you know we're so maybe more so now we're so much more aware of our sense of self and um what we look for out of our employment experience um that actually organizations that don't bring that sense of kind of community and belonging i think they're missing a trick yeah i totally agree i'm really interested that you chose to create these clubs and you decided to do that before you when you had just one yeah you knew that you were going to grow by yeah. another club yeah why around 85 um yeah what was the thinking behind that right at the start yeah so um we didn't know it was going to be 85 to begin with so we grew the first one knowing there was a finite number and um so within a club we have squads so squads typically join together they are about 12 people and essentially we got to six squads with a few other roles kind of in the club um i thought you know what for now that feels right that feels like the right size so we didn't know from the beginning 85 was the magic number but it was all about we were constantly sensing if we were to go by another 12 people would we still have that sense of connection and actually, at six squads, we felt at the time that was that was the right number, so we've stuck with it. Was it inspired by things like Gore Associates, who have their you know, factories up to about 100 people, 150 people, and then they open a new factory when it gets to that point because things just start to break down? Yeah. Um, so they weren't known to us at the time, but um, but yeah, I think there are there are lots of examples out there. And, and do people get recruited into a particular club? or it's where there's a need after they've gone through a recruitment process? Yeah, so we don't hire for a particular culture. So we don't look at one club and say, that's the culture of the club, we're going to look for a particular personality type to, to match that at all. But I, with a psychology background, I find the dynamics absolutely fascinating, how you can pick 12 strangers, put them together, and it creates something, and another set of 12 strangers, and it creates something totally different. Um and yeah that's fascinating to watch and observe and it's not by design we've never said you know we want one x club and more one introvert club and one extrovert club you know we've never planned it like that it really is a melting pot of human nature <laughs> um but it's great and like i said people feel really connected to their club or their their squad and yeah they do have their own identities it's lovely would you do anything differently are there things that you go, that was a missed opportunity, or if we'd done it like this, it might have gone better? So um, the second club grew very, very quickly, and we've definitely learned a lot of lessons from that. Um, so I think speed is definitely a factor um, to just be mindful of and the impact that can have on, I mean, you know, management responsibilities, the kind of operational side. Um, but also on that sense of belonging. I think when the world you are in is changing so rapidly every month, it's actually a lot to to continue to feel part of and connected to. 
Um, I think a slightly slower growth trajectory just enables a bit more bedding in. Just embedding some of that knowledge, actually, I think the first club we learned so much and we forgot to um, to kind of document it or or make a note of it or, you know, save it for prosperity. I think now we're much better at kind of saying, okay, these are the lessons we've learned. This is how we're going to implement it in the future. Um, And just making people aware, you know, these, these are the kind of pain points and the transitional phases that you will go through and it's going to be okay. Do you see an opportunity for rapid growth startups to offer a different kind of work experience for people today? Yeah, I I definitely do. Um, I think on the one hand, it it is easier to create an incredible culture from scratch than it is to change some of these, you know, huge organisations with really embedded kind of cultural behaviours. So I think startups have have an amazing opportunity to actually plan it from the beginning. Um... I also, I have a personal theory about um, organisations having a responsibility to replace some of what we don't get from society anymore. So I feel like the human connection in societies has been depleted over recent decades and actually many of us are no longer surrounded by cousins and aunts and uncles and neighbours who help out and all of that stuff that actually I think as humans we really need. We are we are very dependent on kind of psychological safety and that, that sense of connection to others around us. I feel like organisations have an opportunity to create that for their people um, in order to enhance mental health, um, again, to enable people to flourish in the workplace. I, I think that people joining the workplace now are no longer looking for a kind of nine to five, this is what I do, I clock in, I clock out. That's not the experience that people are looking for. And it's also not what a lot of organisations need from their people. Um, But in order to enable people to perform at their best, we need to provide, again, that sense of of belonging and purpose and and just connection. Um, So, yeah, I think I think rapidly growing organisations almost have a responsibility to provide that to their people. Yeah, I completely agree. What's the most successful people management practice that you think you've that you think you've tried or implemented yeah. in digital? For me it's about frequency of conversation and actually not having these annual performance reviews where everything gets, you know, built up into one conversation, but actually just making sure that everybody can have not only a performance conversation but a career conversation, which I think are slightly different, on a really regular basis. Um, and I think that is the thing I think our people are looking for constant challenge and growth we employ very bright people with you know technical skills they're looking to constantly learn and hone those skills and develop um, as individuals Um, you can't do that once a year you just can't Um, understanding the individual you know for a a line manager or a career coach to understand the individual sat in front of them what are their ambitions what are their you know self-limiting beliefs how do we help them overcome those what's the next client opportunity that's actually going to enable that person to kind of take the next step in their career what does a stretch goal look like for that individual um, it isn't. It isn't just about training. Development for me is not, you know, just about courses or, you know, sitting in a room and looking at slides. 
in consulting it's much more about what can you learn on the job and actually what are the skills that you're that you're honing and developing on every single opportunity that you move on to um, but you have to really understand the individual to be able to make the right choices um, yeah so for me it, it is simple but it's it's having those conversations really regularly um, and not shying away from the difficult conversations either you know it, it may not be pleasant but actually being able to say that wasn't great you know you could have done that better and here's how we're going to support you to do it better and here's the opportunity that we're going to give you in order to to kind of grow and do that better next time and who has those conversations in your organization is it both for the career and the performance conversations are they different people same people for each individual it tends to be the same person but we try and make a really clear distinction about the conversation that they're having um so we try and just kind of call it out from the beginning is this a performance conversation or a career coaching conversation um everybody in the clubs is allocated a career coach um that may or may not be their squad lead um depending on kind of how senior they are in the team um the squad lead does the scheduling so so potentially those decisions will be done by somebody differently but they should absolutely have the input of understanding all of those 12 individuals that that sit within their squad um yeah and we do also provide kind of mentors and try and connect people if they've got specific skills or they want to develop specific skills but their career coach doesn't happen to have those try and connect them with somebody else either in the club or across the organization so for example we have um people developing ux skills and you know there's a small number of them dotted around all our different clubs so we try and bring them together in a community of practice so actually they can continue to support each other um so so although formally it would it would be the same person there are so many opportunities and avenues to connect with other people who can maybe support you on your career or give you some guidance okay what about the most radical thing you've done yeah (laughs) i find this question really difficult to answer because i think there's a tendency for people when answering this question to talk about slides and ping pong tables and crazy wacky things that I don't think fundamentally change how people feel about coming to work. Um, I think all of that stuff can be so appealing, but it's it's gloss and and it doesn't actually mean that the day-to-day experience you're going to have is is any better. For me, the most important thing is being treated like a human being, being recognised for yourself as an individual. Yeah, what your strengths are, what your skills are, what your aspirations are, what are your hopes and dreams, what are you scared about, you know, how can we support you as an individual? Having a slide in the office doesn't mean you're going to be having those good, meaningful conversations. <laughs> and it isn't a guarantee of, you know, yeah, good mental health or good physical health. You know, are you working 12 hours a day? Having a slide probably isn't going to make that feel any better. <laughs> um, so... I don't know if we've done anything hugely radical other than treating people as individuals. Have you done anything that hasn't worked? Tried something and yeah. you thought... Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the early days, there were a couple of things that I tried kind of with the first squad or two squads. Um, one of them was something we call Friday Fun at Four, which is now Friday Fun at 4.44. Um, and the second was kind of a round-up email and everybody to share kind of what they'd learned that week or um yeah something something notable that had happened that they were proud of or you know that they'd learned that week 
Um, interestingly, the Friday fun totally stuck. And after a couple of months, I had nothing to do with it. And people were making it happen on their own. The emails just didn't stick at all. Um, and why do you think it didn't stick? I think, I think bad time of the week, like people were fatigued by the end of the week. But also I think it's kind of counter to our nature to, to almost brag about, oh, well, this is what I learned this week. Um, and, and people are quite, yeah, quite shy maybe about their own achievements or, or whatever it may be. So I think maybe a combination of, of those factors. But I don't think it matters. I, I literally look out for things that resonate with people. And if they start running within themselves, then I think that's a successful initiative. If I have to keep pushing and nagging and then it, it's not working and I, I wouldn't carry on pushing it. I like that as a benchmark, though, for if I have to keep pushing it, then yeah. perhaps this is something that's just not working for yeah. people in our organisation. Yeah. OK, then. So now looking at the future for And Digital. Yeah. Uh, what's the vision for And Digital in three years time? What should it be like as a place to work? So we know we will continue to grow, so it will be larger, but... Again, as I've described, that club model should mean that it doesn't feel different to our people, so they should still feel connected to that group of individuals that that they work with. Um, We go from strength to strength in terms of the clients that we work for, so I would expect a kind of amplification of the the variety of clients cross-sector. A lot of our clients as well, they're on a digital journey, so... um, we're helping them kind of progress in terms of their digital capability. So I'd like to think that the kind of technical challenges that we're working on um, continue to be more ambitious as our clients kind of join on that journey and get on board in terms of the you know more up-to-date technology. Um, I think it will always be a place to learn. Um, that's one of the best pieces of feedback that we get, um, whether it's graduates or people more experienced in their career, is that they learn not only technical skills but professional skills, facilitation skills. You know how to deal with clients who are going through change and, and transition. Um, that won't change. I think um, people will continue to recognise that. That actually, if you join and digital, you know you will develop in your career um, more than you would with other organisations. What's one piece of advice that you'd give to? A founder potentially or somebody in a uh, yeah, in the early days of a company that's looking like it's gonna be go through rapid growth yeah I think the key is communication um, again I don't think it's rocket science but actually making time for people to ask questions because startups can feel so uncertain um, and if you don't communicate if you don't answer the questions people will come up with their own answers and it blows my mind sometimes the answers that people come up with if they don't hear from the leader or the leaders of the organisation. Um, so I think overdoing communication and providing lots of different channels that people can yeah, ask questions but also give you feedback and tell you what's not working for them. Yeah, And they say that you need to repeat a message seven times before it actually resonates with people. So again, don't be afraid of repeating yourself, You know, especially when it comes to the vision and the purpose keep at it um, because that's the only way that people are going to really feel that that sense of connections if they just keep hearing it from you and they can see that your actions are aligned with you know your, your aspirations and what you're saying as well thank you very much you're welcome thank you it's a pleasure to talk to you <laughs> If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people find us and to spread these ideas. 
If you end up testing any of the ideas shared in this show in your own organisation, please tell us about it at getintouchatthepioneers.co.uk. We love to hear your stories. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.